our goal is to leverage our engineering expertise and our machine expertise and the skill level of our operators in cold form parts that have never been cold formed before. This is Swarfcast. I'm Noah Graff. Our guest on today's podcast is Joe Bennett. Vice President of Sales at Seaway Bolts and Specials, a cold heading company in Columbia Station, Ohio. In the cold heading process, coiled steel is cut into slugs, which are then hit multiple times, ultimately pounding them into a desired shape. The cold heading process is capable of producing several hundred pieces per minute. Often those pieces are then shipped to precision machining companies that do further work on the parts, Today's podcast is brought to you by Graf Pinkert. Looking for a screw machine, rotary transfer machine, or CNC machine? Graf Pinkert's got you covered. When you're buying any used machine, you're taking a risk. So it's important to buy from someone who knows their stuff and who is going to give you straight information about what you're buying. Graf Pinkert is a family-owned firm that's been dedicated to selling great machine tools to the turn parts industry for 75 years. It specializes in the top multi-spindle brands, including Index, Schutte, Gildemeister, Tornos, ZPS, Acme, and Wickman. They also sell a variety of other types of used equipment, such as CNC Swiss, CNC turning centers, and parts washers. Machine tools are complicated. If you're going to buy one, you should go to people who are knowledgeable and committed to the industry. Learn more at www.graphpinkert.com. That's www.graff. P-I-N-K-E-R-T dot com. I am honored to be with Joe Bennett, Vice President of Sales at Seaway Bolt in Columbia Station, Ohio. Welcome to the show, Joe. Thanks, Noah. Honored to be here. So first, I just want to get a brief overview of Seaway. What do you guys make? You know, we're... This is a precision machining audience for the most part, but it's metalworking. It's our world. So give us the scoop. Yeah, so so we're a little bit different than the majority of your audience, I'm sure. Um, well, you guys uh, kind of cut metal, we hit it and form it. So we're a, we're a cold header. We were founded in 1957. Um, we're privately held second generation. So what we're doing is we're taking coiled steel and we're cutting off a slug of material and then hitting it three, four or five times. and and we're dropping off a finished product at the end of that at, at relatively high speed, anywhere between 60 and 200 pieces a minute. Wow. Would some of this stuff then get shipped to like a machining house and then they would continue machining the parts? Or is this stuff that's basically it's done after the process? The answer is, is yes to both of your, your comments. Um, one of the things that we've started to look at recently is is making a kind of a net shaped blank that would save some material, um, and then it would get sent to a secondary machining source who would finish the part and then sell it to the to the end customer. Okay, because yeah, a lot of a lot of our customers say they get cold formed parts. Is cold forming the same thing as cold forging? It is. It is. You're, you're taking room temperature coiled steel and not adding heat to it um, and hitting it in that state and forming it from that state. Okay. And this is totally going off course to what I was thinking of talking about, but just came to me. Uh, is there any similarities between this and hot forging? 
the difference would be the the heat that is added in order to further form a different shape. So in in hot forging, okay. you're, you're going to be heating up the wire and then hitting it, and you might it'll be a little bit more malleable at that point. Would you use the same equipment? Um, the equipment w- it would be slightly different. Yes, we would not use our equipment to to hot forge here. Awesome. Okay, so now I want the three minute life story of me of you. Okay. Um, who, who people want to know who is this guy? So, so I uh, I grew up in a very very small town in Northwest Ohio, population five hundred, very middle class, two working parents, typical high school experience, football games on Fridays, and uh, all that fun stuff. I went to Miami of Ohio for co- undergrad, and when I graduated from Miami in two thousand two, I got my first job working at a cold heading facility close to my hometown in the sales department. So you knew about cold heading growing up? I did. Yeah. So so National Machinery, which is a, a very large kind of premier equipment cold form machine builder is is literally right up the street from me. So they're world renowned, they're global, and the first company that I went to had a lot of former national employees there. So it was it was really really a great place to learn from from people that not only understood parts but they understood the equipment to make the parts. So I met my future wife and she was living in Columbus. So I, uh, I had an opportunity to work for a distributor down in uh, the Columbus area. And I worked there for a decade, grew their sales about 10x from where we were when I started. And then from there, um, I started to work with Seaway. I took a job about six years ago with Seaway. And, I, and Seaway is, is roughly 70 employees here. And when I took the job, I had realized that through a couple acquisitions of my previous employer that I I liked private. I liked small where I felt like I could make an impact. Yeah. Well, how big was the the other place? So they had um, five locations, 500 employees. Wow. And it's the same type of machines, the same type of parts? It is. It is. Just on a grander scale. And they've been purchased a, a few times subsequently. Interesting. Okay. So... You guys purchased um, one, of, one of the things when when you go on the website for Seaway, they have some very cool videos talking about some of the new equipment you guys have purchased recently. Tell me a little bit about that. Tell me what you have had and then what you what you purchased. So so we were primarily one product family and, and at Seaway, we like to talk in terms of product families. So taper threaded pipe plugs, which which are used in almost every industry out there, transmissions, pumps, compressors, engines. Um, so we are, are automotive, we are oil and gas, agriculture, and that business was really grew for 60 years. And we felt like we were at a point where in order to continue growth, we needed to make something else. So when you think of a pipe plug, it's, it's essentially an inside out nut, right? It, it looks just like a nut, except the threads are on the outside. So so to make that product, the primary manufacturing functions are you, you, you cold head a blank and then you, you roll threads on it. And at that point, it can be sold. You know, we make 100 million pipe plugs a year and, and we're, we're global. We sell 30 uh, percent, you know, outside of the United States. We make the world standards. We have them on the shelf. So we were at a point where if we were going to continue to grow, we need to make something different. So when we started throwing around ideas 36, 48 months ago, we kept coming back to, okay, our parts, our male fittings typically go into a female tubular fitting, and that's the most logical place for us to go. 
So we're not competing against low cost countries. And, and we just thought that was a good place to go. Are these parts made a lot in like China and you competing with them? We definitely have global competition and and our core pipe plug business. You know, what we offer is we make everything from one sixteenth of an inch all the way up to two inches in pipe plugs. And if you're going to buy one, you can come to us and you could buy them all, right? So we want to supply the entire product line of pipe plugs for the world standard so that our customers come to us. We have a lot of large industrial distributors who they'll buy their entire product family of pipe plugs. They'll come to Seaway and they buy everything. But we do have, so we probably have five domestic competitors and potentially 10 more global competitors for taper threaded pipe plugs. But we pride ourselves on our ability to service the customer and inventory not being a bad word here helps us in the fact that we're at 99%. On- so you wanted to grow. So what did you guys buy? Like I mentioned before, the, the pipe plug product is made on nut formers. Um, to make the tubular parts, we had to purchase what's called a parts former. And the difference is, is fairly significant. So parts formers, nut formers essentially allow you to cut off a cube of material. They're fast. Um, they cost about 25% of the, the price of a parts former, but they're really, really limited in what they can do. So your parts formers have the ability to make a lot more difficult parts, highly engineered is how we like to, to refer to them as. So putting a hole, if you think about moving metal and, you, and I show you a part that there's not a hole in, and then I show you a part that there's a, a hole through, the part with the hole through, it's a lot higher engineered part. So not only did we need to buy parts formers versus nut formers, we had to find the people and the talent to do that. How big are these machines, the ones you bought? So they're big. I think the people listening to this, some of them might have an idea of how big some of these forming machines are, and some of them don't. So give us a picture. Yeah, um, 400,000 pounds, roughly, trying to think in terms of uh, size, square footage. Um, They're they're every bit of two stories, three of the conference rooms that I'm sitting in right now, they're, they're large. So that's two stories high. Two stories high, yeah. So we have a a one inch machine, an inch and quarter machine, an inch and a half machine. Then that that's kind of what we started off because we again we want to be able to make the whole product family. And so when I'm saying one inch machine, that's essentially the diameter wire with which the machine can cut off. Interesting. So okay, let's let's go into this your your company, and I get just a very interesting vibe when I was talking to you and your boss Ray. You guys say that you believe in like a a first class type style. And what kind of wowed me was, you know, we had a nice conversation not long ago and you said, and I said, all right, I want to interview you guys on Zoom. And you said, well, how about we fly you out round trip? And I was like, what? Like, finally, finally, somebody wants to, you know, no, but I mean, I, I thought our conversation was pretty good, but, and then you said in the, in the email, you said, well, this is what we would do if we were interviewing anybody, we would fly them in. You know, to me, that is, uh, it's pretty special. That seems to be kind of consistent with the way you guys operate. Why don't you just just elaborate on that? Um, what are some of the high class things that you guys do as a company? It's our belief that small investments upfront and bring a, a sense of loyalty to our team and to one another really are pennies compared to the value that you get on the other side of it, right? And, and you mentioned Ray's name. So 
So Ray is our president and owner. His his father is the one that founded the company and he's really our visionary. But that's how he treats our employees. I mean, really, first class was well stated. You know, we have three holiday parties a year. We have food trucks come in to celebrate achievements. We do uh, we do open book financials. Um, and I know you just interviewed a, a gentleman that talked very well about that. Yeah. So we believe that the team is the most important aspect of what we're trying to do here. And if we have the best team, then we can win in the end. But again, it, doing extra things for our employees, treating them very, very well up front. We, we, we think the dividends that that gives us throughout their career here at Seaway are, I mean, you can't really quantify that number. You have a bathroom that's made of marble? <laughs> there are, there are, uh, uh, marble tiles on the uh, on the bathroom walls. Yes, yes. So we we just did redid our bathroom and, and locker room, and uh, we tried to get the buy in from from all of our team members, and it and it turned out really really well, uh, and we're really proud of it because so that's that's another little thing that that we could do for our our employees to make them feel better. I mean, because part of it is, you know, we're we're here working and we're away from our families and and we we want to have that balance where you know people feel good coming to work and 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 they feel valued and we think that's pretty much the game right especially today in the labor market yeah well you know i've read a lot about it listened to a lot of things about making people feel valued you know all those things sound like it would make people feel good but from what I've, you know, read or listened to, like it's complimenting people or including people in decision making. Isn't that a bigger deal than having parties or? I would agree with that wholeheartedly. So so communication is the most important thing that we do here as leaders at Seaway. And you you have open book management. So that that really makes people feel included and you feel like that creates a, a great unity and people feel appreciated and because of that is that one of the key things i do i do every so often we like to bring in some outside um consultants and like last year we brought in a company called workplace development and they helped kind of re-educate our people on the the p l and what we're showing them and and they're part of those items. In case people didn't hear the podcast I did the other day with the company doing open book management, give us, you know, the scoop on that. Everybody does a little bit different. So what we do at Seaway is on a quarterly basis. So this month we'll look at um, our third quarter financial results where we'll, we'll have a company meeting, take about 30 minutes. We'll go through line by line item by line item on the income statement on, on this, you know, this is how we did. Ultimately, we get to a net income at the bottom and really open it up for questions for anybody. But what we feel is that an informed workforce is a better workforce, right? They can understand better on, you know, their daily operations and what they're doing to impact the team. So we brought in, so we brought in those consultants last year. And, and one of the questions that we asked, and, and it was an anonymous survey. And, you know, one of the things that we like to say here is when we make it, we share it, right? And that goes back to the, the origins of open book management and the question to our employees were, do you believe that when we say that? Do you believe when we make it, we share it? And overwhelmingly to the tune of about 95, 96% answered yes to that question. And we were really, really proud of that. So what do you share? Share what? The benefits, the profit? the We share the profit. So we, we do... Two times a year, we do bonuses based on how profitable we are as a company. Um, we also offer profit sharing as a as a part of the 401k contribution and match. But yeah, I mean, we, we, we truly believe that when we make it, we share it. 
you guys told me back a little bit to the hiring. You want to hire somebody that you'd want to go to dinner with. Was this something Ray said or was this something you said? And, and, and do you really believe this? It was something Ray said. Um, <laughs> and, and to a point, to a point, we do believe it. Um, I mean, it would be awesome if that was the case. It would be. Yeah. If, but it's really not possible to have an entire workforce that you'd want to go to dinner with. But, uh, but, we, but we want people that are trustworthy, that come to work and are ready to work and that are positive. And attitude is so underrated, I think, in manufacturing. I mean, if you have a good attitude, you can go a long way at Seaway. Without any skills, if you have a positive attitude and you're a team player, there's not a lot that we can't teach you. Interesting. I'm not that well versed in your processes. Are there less complexities than say with precision machining or does it have a, a lot of its own variables and takes a long, long time to be able to understand the ins and outs of it? Cause you just said, even if you don't know much, you can go really far. So I, I, I'm just curious about that. You offer apprenticeships. We do, we do our, so our, our setup operators, operating these 400,000 pound machines. These guys are highly skilled and they've been doing it a long time. Most of them have. And our goal is when a young guy comes to Seaway, let's say he comes into our logistics department and his first job is packing boxes and pulling orders, right? Our hope is that we can take that person and have him grow throughout the company. We have an employee that's working right now in our quality assurance department. He's a quality technician, but he started packing boxes. He went to our roll thread department, which is the place where we spin the threads on the parts. Um, did really, really well. We put him through um, schooling through the NTMA and he was able to get his associate's degree. And now he's moved into our quality assurance department. And you um, paid 100% of that. 100%. Yep. Mm-hmm. 100%. Um, it took him, I think it took him about four years to get that associate's degree, but we supported him the whole way. And, and he's a, he's a valuable asset, but it, it's, it's one story of, you know, our goal is to find those eager people with positive attitudes and, and train them up as much as we can. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what everybody's trying to find. That's what, uh, that's what everybody's trying to find. Yes, sir. One thing you guys do, um, seemed like you had a, in common with, another person we interviewed it if i remember correctly from our talk you allow lots of different flexible hours for the employees we do we try to have our standard we have a a small second shift and a first shift um, but we have several people that work here that they need to have some flexibility and we do our best to accommodate we have a gentleman working in our tooling department uh, design engineering and he works monday through thursday Um, we had a project manager that was here. Um, he actually retired for the second time last uh, last month, and he worked one or two days a week as needed, um, but he was helping us out managing projects. So we, we, we absolutely try to be accommodating. Sure. What if somebody wanted to, say, work super early or somebody wanted to work later? You know, they wanted to come in at 10 or they wanted to come in at 5. Do you have abilities to do that or or is that kind of like a special for somebody that you're willing to accommodate it, but it's not like what everybody does? We try to be accommodating. If someone is employed here, they're employed for a reason. So there is a job that they have to do. And if there is a chance that, let's say, they instead of coming in at six, that they need to come in at eight, but they're willing to work till 430, we, we, we would absolutely accommodate that. You know, I spoke with you and Ray, and it seems like Ray thinks the world of you from our conversation. 
how old is Ray? When, what is, what is, speak for Ray. <laughs> Are you going to um, keep coming into a higher executive role? And, or are these questions that you really can't answer? And, and I totally understand that. I can tell you from my, my perspective is um, I absolutely want to finish my career at Seaway. I absolutely want to continue to move up. I, I hope that I am in race succession planning. And I know he's thinking about it already, but he's been really, really good to me and uh, more than giving me a paycheck, which is great. But I, I feel like I've learned so much from coming here. And, and it's been, especially in the last 18 months, right? It's, it's been a challenge. This has been a, a challenging time to lead a company. Yeah, sure. Was COVID just utterly brutal? How long did it last? Are you guys crushing it now? So we ship automotive um, prior to the kind of the new business kicking in. It represented roughly 50% of our business in March 16th was that the day it dropped to zero for about eight weeks. So we were really, really slow for a while. And then the, I guess the challenge was, it seemed like... March of 2020. Yeah, March of 2020. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, it seemed like... Uh, it's all, it all, it all's just going by so fast and I don't... It, 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 it seemed like something new came down every week, right? So... We sat down and we said, you know what, we're going to do our best to communicate with our people to the best of our knowledge. We're going to stay up and we're going to we're going to talk to other people in our industry. We're going to find out what they're doing and we're going to try to take care of all people, keep them working, keep them in health insurance and just be just communicate as much as we can. So that, that's what we try to do. So I think we did shut you have out. to lay off anybody. We did one minor run of layoffs in June of 2020 and we called back the majority of those people. And then since then, so we got through that brutal second quarter, third quarter was fairly snow, slow, fourth quarter started picking up. And then this year, we're really busy. Even the legacy product is busy, but because our sales have you know increased 50% on new products, it's been a good year. It's been a challenge. I mean, it's grown as faster than we expected. And plus we're dealing with- The steel, what is what do the rising steel prices do to you? They hurt. Steel is our largest cost driver, and it's up about uh, fifty percent from last year. And we expect it to to double by January first. So, when steel represents fifty to sixty percent of the products that you make, it's hard to keep up with that rising cost. It, really, it's impossible to to get in front of it. So, does it work like if you're having to pay twice as much, then the cost just goes to your customer and they pay twice as much, or are you eating part of the margin? <laughs> we're we're definitely eating part of the margin at this point. I mean, because we're we're constantly trailing the rise of steel. We're we're asking for it here when we've already bought it here. So we've put through a couple price increases. We're gonna have to put through another price increase for January first. I think everybody's going to have to because the mills have already come out and said, "Hey, largest price increase on cold heading quality wire in the history of the time we've been doing business as of January first. So, so who are the people you're selling it to? The automotive companies directly? No. Yeah. So we sell automotive direct. We sell to the tiers, and then we sell to some industrial OEMs, a lot of the larger distributors, BMI distributors, um, and then we have oil and gas customers as well. So, so I'm kind of a like to think I'm a student of negotiation. Um, 
How does that work? Like when you're having to pay twice as much and now you have to go to your customer and tell them they have to pay more. I know like automotive is supposed to be like the most cutthroat negotiating as it. I mean, and, you know, they're arguing over a a cent, right? Like, or a micro cent. They are fractions of pennies. Are you one of the people that does that? Or that's, that's like your purchasing people or... Oh, that's, that's, that's our sales department. That's me. So what do you do? Like, what do you tell <laughs> Let's do a role play. So I'm your customer. Do you come in and how do you approach me? We try to just present facts, right? So this is what we're paying, right? And, we, and we're happy to show you invoices, but we can show you indexes that says, hey, we're paying 10 cents more this quarter than we were last quarter for steel per pound. I'm not trying to pull a fast one on you. We need to get coverage on these increases or else, you know, we're going to be a company that's operating at a negative profit margin, which you don't want, right? Because you want us to be a long-term supplier and, and we need to stay healthy. You need to stay healthy. So the cost, we're in the middle of this thing. And, and in order to stay solid, we need, we need help. And most customers are, it's been unbelievable how understanding our customers have been this year. And I think it's because they see it everywhere. And, and most of them are doing some sort of purchasing of steel themselves. So it hasn't been the fight that I think normally it usually is. Oh, interesting. And you're right. What you said before, though, in the long game, you know, they know that they have to be understanding of the way things are. They can't just tell you my way or the highway. Otherwise, you can't survive anyways, or you'll go to somebody else and say, screw you, I'll sell to somebody else. We've been on our, on our current product family, our, our, our legacy product family. Most of our customers have been with us for decades, right? They, they don't want to go somewhere else. So we need to be healthy for them to continue to buy from us where we have parts on the shelf and 24 hours a day, a human will answer the phone when they call Seaway if they need something. I, I think they understand that we're important as well. You know, again, the process is a lot different than cutting metal. I know that, as you said, there's a great skill level involved in this. Is it the kind of thing where you can think of a more clever way of a process and make it cheaper um, by doing it? I mean, you know, with machining, there's so many ways to like do this trick or that trick and cut setup time and, oh, I, I got some new tooling, whatever. And then you can, or I bought some fancy new machine and that just crushes it. Okay, you bought these new machines. So I guess that's one way of getting more efficient. How do you get like an advantage over your competitors or how do you keep upping your productivity? So your first question of the interview pretty much sums up our strategy, right? Our goal is to leverage our engineering expertise and our machine expertise and the skill level of our operators and cold form parts that have never been cold formed before. That's what we want to, and, and, and teaming up with the other people watching this podcast and saying, Hey, you know, you have a part that, that you're potentially losing or has gone offshore. Is there a way for us to team together where Seaway could manufacture a blank at 60 pieces a minute and you could just finish machine it um, and sell it to your customer. I mean, that, that, that is the ideal scenario for us going forward. You, you mentioned about new machines 
full disclosure, the machines we buy are not new. They are. I know, but I mean that, but that's our world too, as a used machinery dealer, like they don't make them. Well, they probably do make awesome ones, but I mean, these, these machines, how much did the ones you cost cost brand new? Or I mean, the used ones that you bought. Yeah. We'll have several million dollars in, in these machines when they're, when they're fully rebuilt, like new, ready to go. How much did it cost just just to purchase them before you even start rebuilding? It's it's about fifty percent of the so so we're gonna we're gonna buy for X and and we feel at two X that machine's gonna be fully production ready like new. But you know we have three national one and a half inch machines. There's only eighteen that that national ever built, and they haven't built one since you know in forty years. So. That's incredible. Why don't they make these anymore new? I think today, if National were to make an inch and a half machine, it would probably cost upwards of $10 million, right? Because of just the sheer size of the casting. And the parts aren't worth enough to justify that price. Most of these were purchased by your large OEMs when they used to do cold heading. So the two that we just purchased, you know, General Motors bought those in the 70s. Right. And, and obviously we're not General Motors. Um, so, oh, you bought yours from General Motors. Indirectly. They originally they, they purchased those machines and, and, and they bought two because why buy one? They needed to run this part and they wanted to have a backup. So they pretty much bought it to run one or two parts. But they can do that because they're General Motors. Now we're Seaway. Yeah. Um, so we need to we need to do our best to, to buy smart and leverage our ability to rebuild, which I, I would say our rebuilding department is, is world-class and we invest heavily into that. Well, these companies that you're competing against that have 10 times as many people as you or you know, 500 people, are they using the same ones, the same nationals, one and a half inch? Um, yeah. Yeah. They, they, most of them do have that, that capacity. They probably have a little bit more capacity than we do just based on the, the, the size of their operations. Yeah. So, so from a machine standpoint, it's kind of cool that, that we are competitive with these guys who are 10 X our size, you know? Yeah. And, and we have the, the team and the people to do it, which is the most important part of it. Yeah. If you can p- compete with them, why get 500 employees when you can do it with a lot less just because you are more intelligent about it so i mean that makes sense and we're agile we can we can decisions really really quickly that's definitely a a strength of ours i've only been in one cold heading place that i can remember and it was one of the dirtiest places i've ever been this is normally the the case it's pretty it's pretty bad right that's true yes yes and you guys, it's immaculate. You're going to come see us, right? Yeah, you're going to come see us. I, I hope so. Yeah. And then we in, we invest heavily in our cleanliness. So we shut down um, every Friday, 30 minutes early. So everyone can clean. We, we, we do a success photo opportunity. Our quality department walks around and takes photos at the end of the week and let each department know how they did. And, and then they're going to get copies of those photos. You guys take photo. Fo- you guys, t- you guys take photographs at the end of the week and pass them out to, to everybody. We do, but you know what? Like, that's awesome. You, I guess you would think that that could potentially like, I don't know, turn people off, but people appreciate when people walk through Seaway, that's the first thing they notice. They notice that it's not full of smoke. They notice that the floors are clean. So it's, so it's really about, goodwill for our employees that's why we do it is it is it pretty noisy 
we work hard at that too, right? So we're putting as many sound enclosures that we can around our equipment to keep that noise level down. And that's another differentiator between us and other cold heading places. We, we do care about the noise levels, but it all, I mean, it, and it, Ray has this belief that if we can do all of these little things better than our competition, then we're going to be able to get the talent to come to Seaway. And then in the end, we're going to win. So we try to do a lot of the little things really, really well. I can tell you, you totally believe in it. Um, what's one thing that you learned last week about anything? It, you don't have to get too profound. You can just be like, well, I learned this thing happened in the news or, you know, I, I, I learned, you know, this tax loophole or I learned um, whatever. And, and, and I learned that this guy has this statistic in sports. I don't care. I'm just curious about what people what people learn. I write down something I learned every day to try to, to try to make every day count. Right. So I, I'm just curious, what's something you learned? Um, so, so I, um, I read somewhere that uh, in terms of labor force, that for every three baby boomers that are leaving the workforce today, there's one millennial coming in the backfill. That's scary, right? Wow. I'm going to write that one down. It's scary. And inflation. For every three baby, for every three, every day, three baby boomers leave the workforce. There's only one millennial coming back in to backfill those people. Wow. And how old are you? You're 41 like me? 41. Yep. Okay. So we're like right in between millennial generation X. We are. Very interesting. Well, I look forward to when you guys fly me out. That was so cool. Now, I, I mean, now that you say you fly everybody out, it's, <laughs> but it's still awesome. It's, I'm so flattered. Like, I can't wait. It's going to be really cool. Yeah. We, we, we look forward to it, Noah. And then you get to see the place firsthand. Yeah. And I'll do a video and we'll put it online and it'll be awesome. Do you have anything else to say to the people of the world before we sign off? Um, <laughs> that's pretty big. No, I just, uh, I, thanks for the opportunity, Noah. And, and, uh, the, the word team gets thrown around quite a bit here at Seaway. We believe it. And, uh, yeah, we'll just keep working on it. From today's machining world, this is Swarfcast. If you like this podcast, please subscribe to the show on your favorite app and give us a five-star rating and a review. And don't forget to tell your friends about it. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and todaysmachiningworld.com to join our mailing list, read episode summaries, and watch extended interview videos. I'm Noah Graff. My occasional co-host is Lloyd Graff. Our managing editor is Ridgely Dunn. Our audio engineer is Patricio Garcia. For information on advertising or to submit an idea for a future podcast, Follow the contact information at todaysmachiningworld.com. Music